Hi, I'm Shadow Stevens, and you're listening to the legendary On Screen and Beyond. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Welcome to another edition of On Screen and Beyond. This is episode 35, where our special guest is none other than Shadow Stevens. Shadow was, of course, at one time the host of American Top 40. He did it for six years. He has been the voice of numerous award shows, including the Emmys and the Grammys. He was Kenny Beckett on Dave's World with Harry Anderson, which came out on uh, DVD earlier this month. He is currently the announcer for The Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson, and he has a whole lot more going on, as you'll hear in the interview segment today on this episode so stick around for that and it's uh, right here on on screen and beyond other things that are going on well let's see we're going to uh, uh, let you know that you can check out our website on screen and for our latest poll and um, the question is what movie will get the best picture award at the oscars this year you go to the front page of on screen and beyond scroll down to the bottom it's right down there you can t- take your pick of the uh, nominees for the best picture for the oscars and we'll see if we can uh, get it right who knows and let's see what else here we have some very exciting guests coming your way it is unbelievable the guests that we have been able to contact to get on the show and uh, they will be coming up in the future there's a lot of great guests some uh, some people you know and love from some old tv shows some music people some movie stars all sorts of good stuff so we hope you're going to keep uh, listening and checking the uh, website to find out who's going to be on. And uh, another thing, we also appreciate your suggestions. And we've been getting quite a few people sending in suggestions, and we're trying to connect with these people. So sometimes it's a little tough because uh, it's uh, some of these actors or uh, music people are no longer in the spotlight and prefer not to be so you know it's hard but uh, we're trying we're seeing uh, if we can connect with some of them we've had some really good suggestions like i said if you would like to uh, send us a suggestion all you got to do is email us at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com tell us who you would like to hear on the show and we'll see what we can do about getting them of course we can't promise anything but uh, we'll try and uh, let's see, one other thing we want to let you know about, don't forget to check onscreenandbeyond.com because there is now a column each week that is called In Hollywood with Tim Neely. Now, Tim Neely is a syndicated radio entertainment reporter, and he's going to be having a weekly column on our website, onscreenandbeyond.com. So check that out for some of the latest news from Hollywood and it's right there on On Screen and Beyond. Coming up next, well, it's time to find out what's going on in remakes right here on On Screen and Beyond. Please hang up and try again. Well, it looks like remake madness never stops. Slapshot, the movie, remember that one with Paul Newman? It was a hockey film heading uh, toward a remake, I guess. There's no release on it yet, but uh, that's what they're looking into. And uh, the guy who uh, came up with the idea for Gilligan's Island, the TV show... Well, Mr. Swartz and his son are looking at making it into a 
movie. That's correct. It's been talked about for years on the internet and everywhere, and people are talking about it for years, but uh, nothing's been actually done. But uh, it looks like they are now heading their way to uh, make that, and we'll keep you updated as things progress on that. And um, Warner Brothers is heading toward remaking the comic book hero Green Lantern. They're going to make that into a movie. And finally, Hollywood has remade movies out of comic books, songs, books, other movies, TV shows, amusement park rides, and now they're trying to remake movies out of kids' board games. That's right. Candyland is about to be made into a movie. (laughs) Just don't stop, I guess. All right, that's about it for Remake Madness. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, upcoming movies. Well, upcoming in rumored movies, it looks like they're looking into the possibility of making a movie about the life of Judy Garland. She, of course, is best known for her role as Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. You know that one. And uh, there's no release date yet. Uh, Let's see, another biopic in the works is about the life of writer Ernest Hemingway. And also, Jim Carrey is scheduled to play Robert Ripley in a movie about the guy who created Ripley's Believe It or Not. Hmm. All right, look for a possible 2011 release on that one. And Brad Pitt is scheduled to star in The Lost City of Z, which follows explorers as they search for a British colonel who disappeared trying to find the legendary city of Z during the 1920s. So that's something coming your way. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, taking you down to Sequel City to find out what's coming out for sequels. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Well, for better or worse, sequels keep coming our way, and it looks like, in the reverse of the norm, the director of the upcoming movie, The Watchmen, says there will be no sequel. If you can believe that. He claims he did enough things in the story to make it impossible for Warner Brothers, who actually owns the rights of the story and could decide to do one if they want, but he says he's done enough things in the movie that it'll make it impossible for them to make a sequel. Well... I'll tell you something. If it makes enough money, there's no way that the studio will not find a way to make a sequel. They'll come up with something. So uh, we'll find out what happens there. And the sequel to 2006 is The Night at the Museum. Heads our way on May 22nd. It's titled Night at the Museum, Battle of the Smithsonian. And it stars, of course, Ben Stiller. And Resident Evil 4 may be in the works. And we've mentioned this right after Rambo 4 came out. Actually, I think we mentioned it before Rambo was actually out. But um, Rambo 5 is in the works, according to Sylvester Stallone. And there's no release date on that, but we'll keep you updated on that one. That's about it for Sequel City. Coming up next, what's coming out on DVD for TV shows, right here on Screen and Beyond. 
TV on DVD, well, May 5th, look for Lipstick Jungle Season 2. It'll come out on DVD from Universal Home Entertainment. And on April 14th, CBS Paramount will release the final season of Wings on DVD. And uh, Warner Home Visit Video is releasing Two and a Half Men, the complete fifth season, on May 12th with all 24 episodes. And Eight Simple Rules for Dating My Teenage Daughter Season 2 arrives on DVD on April 21st. And this is the season which was the last, uh, has the last episode in which John Ritter appeared before he passed away. And on March 3rd, get ready for the return of the man from Uncle on TV, their TV movie that they had. It starred Robert Vaughn and David McCullough. And it arrives in stores on DVD on March 3rd. So get ready for that one. For the man from Uncle, return of man from Uncle. And that's about it for TV on DVD right now. Coming up next, we have movies coming out on DVD right here on On Screen and Beyond. Well, movies coming out on DVD looks like March 3rd, Disney's Beverly Hills Chihuahua comes to DVD starring George Lopez, Cheech Marin, and Andy Garcia. On March 10th, Cadillac Records hits stores, and that stars Adrian Brody and Cedric the Entertainer. The Tale of Despero. Makes tracks to the DVD shelves on April 7th, starring Emma Watson, Matthew Broderick, and Dustin Hoffman in an animated tale of a mouse. And Not Easily Broken tells the story of a couple whose strength and faith are tested after the wife is injured in a car accident. And that one comes to DVD on April 7th. That's about it for now for Movies on DVD. And coming up next, right here on On Screen and Beyond, we are going to have our interview with Shadow Stevens, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Yes, today on On Screen and Beyond is a multi-talented man who has been a world-renowned radio personality, an actor, a writer of children's stories, the voice of everything from the Grammys, the Emmys, to comic relief. He's Shadow Stevens. Welcome to the show, Shadow. Hey there. Hi there. Hello there, Brian. How's it going? It's, uh, you know, it's good and getting better. That's good. The first thing I want to start off with, uh, we'll start off sort of with something that's uh, uh, coming out very shortly. Um, of course, on February 3rd, the DVD, Dave's World, uh, second season is coming out on DVD. And uh, I just wanted to sort of find out uh, how things were on that show. And also, uh, was there, by any chance, do they have any extras that you know of or commentaries? Did they contact you for anything like that? No, they didn't contact me, but I, uh, I loved the experience. The, the show was... Uh, four years of a lot of fun. I like the people. I like the production team. I like the director. I like, well, there are many directors, but they were all terrific. Uh, even uh, Henry Winkler directed uh, an episode. Oh, really? And it was wonderful. Hmm. It was, uh, it was a totally enjoyable experience, well-written, well-produced, smart, with nice people. What's not to like? Yeah. Now, they were... I understand they had 98 episodes, so they were just short of that magic syndication number of 100. Is that is that true? Yeah, but that wouldn't really make any difference. It, it just, uh, you know, as fate takes it, sometimes things go wrong, and people don't know why. But the the way they tried to syndicate it was all uh, a, 
a, um, I don't know, a kind of a political deal where they tried to tie this to that and tried to make bigger deals than, than they probably should have and lost a, a, ter- a terrific window of opportunity. The fact that there were two less episodes in 100 doesn't mean anything. Oh, no, okay. Typically what it is. It was a four-year show with a lot of great episodes. And in fact, there are, I, for myself anyway, I have a lot of, uh, you know, pretty amusing scenes that that are up on uh, on YouTube. If people want to see them, they just have to go to youtube.com slash Shadow Stevens, S-H-A-D-O-E Stevens. And uh, there's a bunch of them and, and a bunch of other things that I've done that are kind of interesting and fun. Mm-hmm. Anything with the the second season? Anything in particular that you remember that brings back memories or anything? Um, I kind of get them mixed up because I haven't gone through them all. I'm uh, sure, really, yeah. uh, except for a handful of them that are up on YouTube. Yeah, uh, one of my favorite episodes ever was, uh, and there were two episodes actually, where Audrey Meadows um, played my mother. Audrey Meadows, you probably remember, was the um, played the wife of Jackie Gleason in the honeymooners, yeah. 50s. And, you know, one of the legends of all time. And she, and this is the last thing she did before she died. Um, so it, it was uh, really memorable. It's quite funny. And, and uh, one of those uh, episodes is on YouTube. You can fire it up and watch it for yourself. But yeah. Yeah, I think it's really char- charming. And, and the episode is where uh, she thinks I'm gay. <laughs> My character is a real ladies' man, you know. Right, and, yeah. And uh, is, you know, horrified. And she does it, you know, at a restaurant in front of other people. And it's pretty funny. Yeah. How did you come about to get the uh, the part of Kenny Beckett? I auditioned. <laughs> it was, yeah. I had had a series called uh, Max Monroe Loose Cannon that was right, on yeah. uh, before it. And it failed uh, for a variety of reasons. It, one of the, the biggest reasons was that the, the the legendary producer of the show was Fred Silverman, the guy who successfully ran all three networks and made them each number one at different times. Right, the guy is like one of the greatest uh, you know producers in the history of television, and he was the producer of this show. And he had a heart attack in the middle of development for the show. So we were shooting. He has a heart attack. He's down and out, he's gone, he's not available for any of the finalizing, the final deal-making with the network, and all those things that might have made a difference in promotion, so it didn't last long, but there are a lot of quite amusing things with it, and, but once you go down, you know, then, they, then you're associated with a failure, so it takes a while to get back on your feet again, Yeah. and so for a while there were not even any auditions that, that were available to me, and finally this came up. And I went in, and it was, you know, a part was, like, written for me. It was perfect for me to do, and they laughed, and they yeah. brought me back again, and they brought me back again, and they brought me back again, and, I, you know, you end up doing multiple auditions, because you go up the scale as you finally are auditioning for the network. They yeah. have to make the final decision of who gets the job. Hmm. Yeah. Now, some actors, uh, you always hear how they're saying, you know, they hate to see themselves on screen. They don't like to go watch themselves. D- does that bother you to watch yourself on screen, you know, especially like on DVD now? Well, no. I, I, Dave's world was pretty pulled together. Uh, by that time, I had gotten it together. It, it, I've always looked at, at or listened to what I do and try to make it better. I don't know how else you can make it better. Um, 
if I didn't know what I was doing wrong, then I would never be able to know how to correct it or how to make adjustments. Hmm. And, you know, I'm not, I was never a great actor, but I had certain things that I did pretty well and things that I could do that are, at least in comedy, pretty funny. Yeah. And and that, and, and so, I, you know, I, I, uh, by the time we got to Dave's World, it was, um, you know, I'm comfortable with that. During Max Monroe, there are pieces that really work, that are really funny, and those, by the way, are the ones that are up on YouTube. Yeah. And then there are parts that I look at and wince and go, oh, God, I had no idea. <laughs> I just uh, didn't nail that. It was kind of like slow. I should have picked up the pace. It should have been, you know, something. Yeah. Yeah. Now, of course, that's the newer things that are coming out on DVD for you. But uh, l let's take a look back at how it all started. Now, I understand you were 11 years old when you got your first job as a DJ. Well, yeah, it came as a as a result of of me being. I've always been a compulsive, obsessive person. And at 10 years old, I built a radio station in my house. And what it was originally was it was it was a little wireless broadcaster kit that you had to build from scratch that would allow you to broadcast your your voice into a radio in another room. And I went to the local um, uh, radio TV repair shop and found out how to soup it up. And then <laughs> I put up a 100-foot antenna uh, from my house at the top of a three-story house to the top of a tree in the backyard. And then I was able to broadcast a mile in every direction. It was magic. Hmm. So I did uh, I did radio, you know, uh, every day after school and into the evening. Now, did and the, they discovered me. Yeah, I was going to say, did the FCC step in after a while? Well, no, it's Jamestown, North Dakota. You know, the FCC isn't doing a lot of trolling in North Dakota. Yeah. Like, you know, pirate radio. <laughs> you know, it's like not especially back in those days, there was not, you know, there was not a big deal. Yeah. Now, did your friends, could your friends hear you? Were you close enough so that they could hear you? Oh yeah, yeah. All the neighborhood could hear. We would get, we would put on uh, an LP, a long playing record, and 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 let the music play, and then get in the car and, and see how far we'd be able to hear the station. It was always exciting. Yeah, oh yeah. And you get a mile away, and you can hear, you know, your little radio station. It's too good to be true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then you moved on to bigger and better things, right? Well, you know, I did, I did, you know, radio during high school, and, and then when I went to the University of North Dakota, I got a full-time job to help me myself through school. Yeah. And that lasted for three years while I was an art major, and and then I transferred to the University of Arizona for two years, where I changed to drama and journalism. I realized that, you know, I just felt like in my fourth year of college, I probably i am going to make more money in the media than I am as an artist, so I better focus. Yeah. Now, I can remember back in the, I think it was the late 60s, you were on WRKO in Boston? Yeah. I was there for a year, mm -hmm. and uh, that's where I went from Tucson. I, I was flying for a job in California and really didn't want to ever go into snow again for the rest of my life. <laughs> and I got this job in Boston and, and took it reluctantly, but it was such a big step for me, and it was uh, you know a major career move that... I had to do it, yeah. And it was a it was a big adjustment for me. I was pretty young. I was only like, uh, geez, about um, twenty two years old, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Huh. So you headed off to to the big city. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I was in the big city with uh, newly married with a son. Yeah, trying to um, adjust to Boston, which was an insane city. <laughs> was it after that you became uh, the announcer and sidekick for Steve Allen? No, that was when I came to L.A. Oh, when you came a to year, L.A. A year later, I, I, I did really well in Boston. I had the station was a big station, and I had huge ratings. I mean, like thirty-three percent of the audience listening to radio mm -hmm. to uh, WRKO and Neon at that time. Oh yeah. And so uh, with that success, they hired me to come to the what was considered the number one radio station in the country, KHJ. Yeah. And uh, and when I came to KHJ, one of the first things that happened was I I became the uh, announcer sidekick for uh, uh, the Steve Allen show, television show. Now that must have been a a thrill working for Steve Allen. It was daunting and horrifying and terrifying. And I mean, not horrifying really, but really terrifying. I you know, it was my first. Well, I did I did some television in Boston, but. Um, Steve Allen, I grew up idolizing. Oh yeah, uh, and and uh, to be there with him. You remember broadcast news where Albert Brooks is sweating, and it's like his face is running with sweat and it's yeah. running down, and his shirt is soaked. Yeah, that was me. <laughs> he, he to, like the makeup people would come in between, um, you know, during the commercials and go, "Oh my God, you really sweat." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And my shirts would get soaked by the end of the show. They'd be totally wet underneath. It was really humiliating. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, I'm there, and I do the parts I know best, but, you know, I'm there with Steve Allen, good Lord. I know. I took that time to learn as much as I could, and it was a great learning experience for me. One of the key things I learned that helped me in my whole life was uh, um, taking notes. Between... between uh, during the commercials, Steve never talked to anybody. Oh, really? Maybe the maybe the producer would run over and say something to him, but mainly he sat there scribbling away as fast as he could on his desk. And I said, "What are you writing?" And he goes, "Everything that comes to my mind. I don't want to forget anything. I do this all the time, day and night, because I can't trust my mind to remember all the things that come up." Hmm. And uh, I went, "Good enough for Steve Allen. Good enough for me. I've been doing it my whole life." Yeah. <laughs> really big deal. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Gee. Now, um, later on in the 80s and 90s, you became the host of American Top 40, one of the only three people who have been the host, the regular host of American Top 40. How did that come about? I had left radio, and, and um, after uh, some big successes in L.A. radio programming, and, and, went and started a production company and, and went into television commercials, and I had a huge campaign that uh, I created for uh, a company that featured me. And the company was called the Federated Group. So I came up with a campaign where I was a uh, parody of a pitch man. And I uh, called myself Fred Rated. So mm -hmm. Repeat the name, Fred Rated for Federated. Yeah. And then it was Fred's girlfriend, Frida. And Fred and Frida Rated for Federated. And Fred and Frida Rated for Federated and my dog, Fear. And we did uh, 1,100 commercials, and it was so successful, it was the subject of a two-page spread in Time magazine. Wow. And on the heat of that, because it was really big on the West Coast, it was uh, in five states, California, New Mexico, Arizona, Texas, and Oklahoma. And they uh, they were like kind of like Best Buy. They were 
they became big superstars. Mm-hmm. And um, and because of all that attention, I uh, got Hollywood Squares. Yep. Hollywood Squares, interestingly enough, was produced by the same guy who produced um, the uh, show with Steve Allen. Ah. Who, who, ironically, also was the guy who produced my television shows in Boston. Uh-huh. So, so we had a long history, and he hired me to do that, and, and Hollywood Squares became a top five nationwide hit. And uh, and it was you know, so successful that I had a lot of um, you know notoriety. I was sort of like Ryan Seacrest for a moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at that moment, with all that television um, success, uh, American Top 40 was looking for their um, host, and there were a thousand applicants, a thousand auditions. But I had radio background in addition to, you know, my television, and so they hired me. Yeah, yeah. Now that was that kind of, you know, nerve wracking stepping in for Casey Kasem. It was nerve wracking because everybody was so damn nervous about it. It was like you know, they all wanted me to be Casey Kasem. I couldn't even talk like that. I said, I can't talk like that. Yeah. Everything has to be rewritten for me. Everything has to be changed. I can't do this. And the first show took 18 hours to record. Wow. four-hour show. It was unbelievable. They sent me the voice coaches. It wasn't, wasn't good enough that I had had history and knew how to do this stuff. Boy, I, I don't understand why they would send you to voice coaches. You have a voice. Yeah, yeah, and I clearly had done this my whole life. But yeah. it was all part of, you know, the corporate uh, fear mentality. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, and they had to be doing everything they could to make sure that I was going to be, uh, you know, a, a winning personality in the public eye. Hmm. And you know, and, and that went on for a while, and then pretty soon it got down to where we do a whole show in forty minutes. And, yeah. And uh, travel around the world because it grew exponentially. It grew. I mean, it was big already, and it grew around the world. To this day, there still has never been a bigger radio show in history. Yeah. It's on 110 countries, and today American Top 40 is on, and probably um, I don't know 40 or something. Huh. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Now, Hollywood Squares. Um, now, of course, you did two versions of that, right? The, the yeah. two different. Uh, well, one that I was on camera, and the other ones I just did uh, the voice work. Yeah. Now, that show. It always looked like people were having so much fun on that show. You know, the the people, the guest stars, and everything. It sort of reminded me like of a match game type show, where you know it was more of a party than a than a straight. You know, let's get the job done. Was it was it really like that? Yeah, yeah. It was it was as much fun as I ever had. It wasn't as much fun as doing Federated, but it was uh, easier because all I had to do was show up. You know, you're, you're the biggest the, the the biggest difficulty was bringing in five clothing changes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Other than that, it was you know go to your dressing room, get 
uh, versed in uh, the um, questions that were going to be asked, so you could come up with, you know, funny answers or, you know, they wouldn't give you the answers, they'd just give you the questions. Yeah, yeah. You had time to think about what you're going to say, and my whole bit was to bluff, so that became like a running gag mm-hmm. on the show. Yeah. And, um, and then laugh. Go out, laugh, have fun. Yeah. Again. Yeah. Yeah, it always it always looked like a fun show. So um, now, uh, just getting back to Loose Cannon just for a minute. Uh, now, was that show intended to be sort of like a, a lethal weapon with Mel Gibson type? You know that type of show. Well, it, originally it wasn't. It ended up having a lot of similarities because um, it, it was a you know a wild guy that uh, was unpredictable, and uh, and and there's a black sidekick. Um, our partner. Yeah. And uh, the, originally it was because I had a lot of, you know, heat at that moment, and, and so I got a development deal. And they, as part of the development deal, they put me with Fred Silverman, and Fred said, what do you want to do? And I said, what I'd really like to do is Miami Vice with a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. That was, that's the idea. And so the name Max Monroe is something I came up with, and I helped him develop the concepts for it. And then as it developed and got closer to uh, being on the air, uh, it became more lethal weapon-like. Although yeah. the, the idea of the show was that my character would go undercover and do these, you know, different characters. And, mm-hmm. and, if you, and if you look at some of the scenes on YouTube, you'll see, you know, some examples of what we did, some of it. You know, pretty successfully, and some of it's pretty amusing. Yeah, yeah. Because you, your hair at that time sort of had that Mel Gibson <laughs> look to it. I know. The whole, well, the whole thing was. I mean, I, I, uh, I actually, <laughs> I always found it amusing because I never quite saw it myself. But <laughs> there were people that um, I was once in New York at um, at Macy's, and a woman chased me around and was sure I was Mel Gibson. Oh, really? <laughs> again, so I finally just signed it, Love Mel. <laughs> uh, now, between Shadow Vision and all the different, uh, the Emmys, the uh, uh, Grammys, all the things that you've been involved with, has there ever been any either movie or rock star that you were in awe of being in their presence, that type of thing? Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and it was the funniest of circumstances, it was David Bowie. And mm-hmm. I was on the air in Los Angeles at, uh, you know, we were the number one rock station in Los Angeles at the time, it was KMET. And I was, uh, you know, out in the afternoon, and we were doing a mock Shakespeare day. It was Shakespeare's birthday. And so um, one of the other uh, guys there, on personalities there, a guy named Brother John and I were doing these, you know, um, you know mock Shakespearean talk. And it was pretty funny. And uh, it, everything we did that day was in a Shakespearean tone, and I am big pentameter. And, and uh, all of a sudden, the door opened, and it was David Bowie. And he said, I just had to come and see where all this was coming from. <laughs> and I was almost speechless. It was like, I'm not prepared psychologically for this. <laughs> and he walked in, and he brought me a book, which I still have. And it was a little pocket book that he'd made a new cover for, and it said, um, 
the complete works of Shakespeare uh, to Shadow from Bowie. Hmm. And I opened it up, and it was the sayings of Chairman Mao. <laughs> it was a, really a funny gag. <laughs> and um, I, I actually didn't interview him. I, I was like, we talked, you know, kind of socially. I asked him if he wanted to go on the air and do, um, you know, like, just take over, do a radio show. Yeah. Anything you want. And he just wanted to kind of witness, you know, the starkness of it. I mean, it's a little radio studio with me sitting in it, painting pictures that made it sound like it was a bigger-than-life world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not very interesting, frankly. And uh, But it was a um, it was a pivotal moment. You had mentioned that you went to school for art, um, but you continue with your artwork, don't you? Yeah, uh, well... If you go to my website at shadow.com, there is um, there's a gallery of, well, there's pictures, I guess pictures are in the gallery. There's um, a link to artwork. I'm building a new website right now that's going to be more um, elaborate. Mm-hmm. But what's up right now is um, a lot of digital art that I did for my company, Rhythm Radio, a few years ago. I did a lot of um, poster designs and... Um, and animated gifts, you know, for the yeah. internet that move and, and are, uh, you know, um, kind of little action-oriented cycling things that uh, give the illusion of something happening that are, are kind of fun. Hmm. My uh, my bigger pieces are, I've never been able to take pictures of them that do them justice. I need, you know, to have high-resolution scans done of them because they're real big. They're, they're three-by-five-foot canvases. Oh, wow. And... They're really dense. It's crazy. It's a it's a process that I invented. It's multimedia, and it's um, a combination of acrylics and and um, pencil crayons and um, collage done from work I create in Photoshop, and then print, and then I take the prints and uh, cut them up into hundreds of little pieces and then glue the pieces to the canvas to create these optical illusions that are kind of like uh, M.C. Escher. Hmm. They're kind of like tricks of the eye that are kind of hallucinogenic. (laughs) And and the whole, uh, it's a whole series of of seven that, um, what I I did is I wrote what they're about, too, and and they're really, it's completely self-indulgent. Huh. It's like I just took it way over. You know how art, uh, art galleries always tell you in, in, um, uh, you know, in, in really elaborate terminology the meaning of uh, that the artist is, is trying to express and mm-hmm. the symbolism. Yeah. So I took that to an absolute extreme. That <laughs> is way over the top, and it's pretty funny to me. And I don't care if anybody gets it. Yeah. <laughs> There's now, now do you uh, see... big boxes in my garage right now. One of these days, I'll get around to getting them scanned and, and be able to show them. Yeah. Now, do you do you sell your artwork? I haven't. No, I. You just I, do it uh, for the sake because because you, you like doing it. I do it because I'm a compulsive personality who needs to stay busy all the time. Yeah. And I've I've kind of gotten away from it the last couple of years. I've gotten so busy doing other things like, you know, creating Cabalabo Radio is pretty time-consuming, mm-hmm. and uh, and I did all the marketing and all the branding and all of the, the, I did the website, I did everything. Wow. And 
know, it was, uh, it taught me a lot. And it gave me a lot of stuff to, to use for something else. I don't um, spend a lot of time um, worrying about changes because my whole career has been doing something, sometimes being a success, sometimes failing, but always um, having to change, yeah. having to reinvent. Yeah. And that's become a way of life for me. So now, it goes away, something else comes up. Got lots of stuff that I'm working on right now. I, I know. I, I was looking over, you know, information, background stuff on you, and I mean, it's like, how do you do all this stuff? How do you have time? <laughs> it's a lot of, of um, um, you know, doing things. I, I, I hate to waste time. I, I don't like to sleep. Um, I force myself to sleep six hours a day, mm-hmm. and um, and I try to get busy. You know, all the time. Yeah, and that includes a little time to read. I try to read at least a page or two of something a day. Yeah, and then over a period of months, I read lots of books. Hmm. So you know, it's it's just how I uh, you know apply myself to using time. Yeah. yeah. Now, your children's books, The Big Galoot, is that still an ongoing process or? Actually, yes. Um, it has been. Uh, one of those things that is perplexing, more perplexing than anything I've ever done in my life, because it's really good. Yeah. And and it just sort of came through me, and it has been trying to be a success forever. It was sold to Dove Publishing in 1996. It was developed with them. All the artwork was finished. I'd done the original drawings and found an artist to do the color work. And... Uh, a week before it was to be printed in 1997, there was a hostile overthrow of the company. They fired the president and CEO, canceled the children's division, and it took 10 years for me to get the rights back to my book. Jeez. And then when I had it, I got it back, I went uh, and, and uh, family money invested in doing it ourselves, and we got, got them printed in China, sent somebody to China to oversee the production to make sure they were beautiful, and they are. Mm-hmm. Got that, and then nobody would distribute it. I go to distributors, and they go, "Yeah, no, we don't uh, distribute like one book, you know, yeah. private little companies. Uh, you'd have to have ten. And then I try and get it with a publishing company, and it failed, and was turned down by, um, you know, six or eight different major publishers. For and saying things like, "We think the moral of the story overpowers the actual story." Hmm. And uh, some of the rhymes, because it's written like Dr. Seuss, some of those are forced. Are you insane? I know. (laughs) But yesterday, literally yesterday, I I did this, and this is also on YouTube, I did a a, a demo, a trailer of The Big Galoot. Oh, really? My own demo of of the book on tape, which I produced myself. Mm Mm-hmm. And then I, uh, I took the existing artwork and made it into a little kind of animated uh, video. Oh. So you can get that on my if you go to youtube.com slash Shadow Stevens, you'll see it there and you can watch it. And I sent it to a uh, notice to a few friends of mine. A friend in Chicago wrote and said, you should contact and tell uh, my friend um, Adam Korn at HarperCollins in New York about this. So I did, and I heard back from from Adam uh, two days ago, and Adam said, I watched it, I love it, 
as I agree with Whoopi Goldberg, Dick Clark, Henry Winkler, and Gene Simmons. I think it's terrific. Are you looking for a publisher? Wow. And so yesterday I talked to him for a half hour and uh, sent him the books overnight, and they should be in his hands right now. Huh. So maybe there's hope. Well, I don't know. Great. I'm cautiously optimistic. Yeah, I know. You never <laughs> you never know what's going to happen. Huh? <laughs> no. You never know. Well, I hope that does come through. Now, with all the ones that you had printed, have you ever made those available for purchase on a web on oh, your website? Sure, sure, I did. So, yes, I even uh, did uh, promotion of it and did radio shows talking about it. And anybody who's ever bought it loves it. Their kids love it. It's been performed in schools. People love it. Cannot get it off the ground. And two weeks ago, I uh, closed up the fulfillment house, which we were paying a couple hundred dollars a month to, and moved the remaining books to my garage. So, so it's 4,000 books sitting in my garage, wondering what to do with themselves. Oh, so it's not available anymore online? Yeah, it is. Oh, it if is? You, if, you, if you go to buygoodbook.com, you can order it, and uh, it'll be fulfilled here at, at my place here oh. in L.A. Okay, well that's good. So people can still have a chance to see it then. Now I read one somewhere, uh, you know, through the magic of the internet there, that you are a self-proclaimed Mac freak. Is that true? Oh yeah, I love Mac. You do? I love them. So do I. <laughs> I, have, uh, I started on PCs like back in the eighties. Yeah. And um, and got my first Mac in about nineteen ninety-seven. When I went in and said, everybody's talking about this, Max, and I know that costs more, and uh, yeah, so what's the big deal? Here are the programs I use. How do they work on Mac? And that day I walked out having spent $10,000 on everything Mac that I could buy at that moment. <laughs> so I could do Photoshop, so I could do you know, Pro Tools, I could do everything. Yeah. And, um, and I still have two PCs. And pretty much hate them, <laughs> but I have them and know how to use them. And I have uh, one, two, well, counting my daughters and my wife, there are six Macs in the house. Wow. <laughs> and seven, counting the one that I uh, I just uh, got a new uh, MacBook. Yeah. But I, I just think that it's a brilliant company, and I can trust them, and I do just a massive amount of work on them. Yeah. Do you do your uh, uh, computer graphics on those? Yeah, I also do. I also do um, um, graphics on, on my PC mm -hmm. sometimes. Yeah. Um, just because there's a couple things that it's like easier to do um, certain fonts. You, know, you you pay more for fonts on Macs yeah. generally, and sometimes I have fonts in my PC that that really work well, and they, and it works really well either way. But PCs are just so prone to to uh, spyware and viruses and conflicts and yeah, know, oh god, they're just annoying. Yeah. <laughs> so, with all these things that you you've done and have going on and everything, uh, is there anything you can tell us about the future? Uh, anything you have special that's coming up that you can tell us about? I can give you a hint, but if I told you the whole thing, I'd have to kill you. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, I have a I have a deal with Tony Hawk. Wow. On a movie project that I created. 
mm-hmm. that is one of the coolest things I've ever created in my life. It's so neat and so funny and so unusual that, um, I mean, I, I had Tony, they've been trying to get Tony to do a movie project for um, 10 years, and he hates everything. I had a 20-minute pitch meeting with him, and it turned into three and a half hours and laughed and talked and showed stuff, and he had suggestions for my presentation that uh, improved it, uh, you know, 100%. And uh, <clears throat> and we will be meeting with uh, Paramount and Imagine and some real big film companies wow. in the next two weeks. Hmm. Well, good luck with that. Yeah, you'll love it. Trust me, if this thing gets made, it will. It could. It could be if it's done right. It could be a huge blockbuster. Hmm. The ideas are that good. Wow, that sounds good. Are you still on the Late Late Show? Oh yeah. Yeah, you're still doing that. Yeah. When I did my research, I was looking at different things, and and they would give dates, but they didn't say you know continuing on, and I didn't know if you were still doing that or not. Yeah, I'm still doing that, and I'm still on, uh, as far as I know, Alter Boys is still off-Broadway. Oh, yes, you, you play God, don't you? <laughs> I play God, yeah, and they did a really good job with it. The, the way it's, it's written, it's a really funny play. If people ever get a chance to see it, they should see Alter Boys. It's, um, it was out here in L.A. for um, uh, a short run. Oh, really? And uh, people loved it. Hmm. It was very entertaining. So you weren't actually there, you just did the rec- the voiceovers for them? Yeah, I just flew into New York and, and uh, went into a studio and, and did a whole bunch of different things for them. And they've been using them ever since, they've been on for years. Huh, and then, so you were the voice of God? And <laughs> the voice of God. <laughs> well, Shadow, I, I can't say enough about uh, you taking the time to talk to us, I really appreciate it. My pleasure. I uh, wish you all the luck in the world, and stay warm up there. Well, it was such a pleasure to talk to Shadow Stevens, being a former DJ myself. It's uh, one of those things where you you get to talk to one of these guys who was, uh, you know, a a DJ who was one of the top DJs in the world, and it's always a thrill to uh, and an honor to talk to somebody like that. And we appreciate him taking so much time to talk with us. uh, we, We had a couple of times where we... Uh, had to get back in touch and things, you know, cell phones dying and all this other stuff going on. But uh, we finally connected and uh, really had a good time talking to him. And I want to thank him for taking that time. And uh, let's see, just want to remind you that uh, check out the website, go over there and uh, scroll down, get on the poll, see what you think will be the best movie and win the best movie picture award, you know, on the Oscars there. That's on our poll on our website, onscreenandbeyond.com, so check that one out. And uh, also, uh, Tim Neely's um, weekly report column, that will be on On Screen and Beyond. Just go to the the webpage, right on the front page there, we have a little link on the side that says, uh, In Hollywood with Tim Neely. Click on that, and you get the latest news and things like that. And uh, let's see, what else is going on? Like I said, if you'd like to send us a suggestion who you would like to hear, somebody who you think would be a good guest uh, from, uh, you know, the past or somebody new or something, you know, we'll see what we can do. We'll <laughs> we'll try to get anybody. Um, we, we enjoy hearing the stories, what they have to tell us and all that sort of stuff. So um, you can send us a suggestion at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com. 
And uh, and if you just want to send us a message, uh, you know, just to to let us know what you think of the show or whatever, uh, we always like hearing from people. We get all kinds of email from all over the world, and we appreciate that very very much. And we hope you keep doing that. Hope you keep listening. And uh, any suggestions you have will be greatly appreciated. So, uh, if you want to send us something, go ahead. Feedback at onscreenandbeyond dot com. And uh, let's see, one other thing I wanted to mention to you, and I kind of lost it. I can't remember what it was, but uh, I'm sure I'll think about it. We're going to have another guest coming your way very shortly. We seem to be popping these out. Uh, we usually try to get two a month, but uh, sometimes certain things come up and we have to put another one out faster than what we thought we were going to because uh, depending on the circumstances or uh, when we contact these people, they say, well, we'd like to have this out as soon as possible. So, you know, we'll, we'll try to accommodate them as best we can. And uh, so we will be having one coming out very shortly. And like I said, we've got some great guests coming your way. So keep listening. And um, until next time, take care.